Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, Buffalo Bills fans. Believe a Buffalo Bills fan podcast. I'm John Boccasino, welcoming you back to our episode, uh, the most depressing episode I've ever uh, been able to record here with Jamie D'Amico. It's just the sun is shining and it's really hard not to tell myself that the Bills uh, don't have a home game tomorrow, um, Sunday against the Bengals in the AFC Championship game. We're here to help you get through it, Bills fans. This is a family. This podcast is really, we want it to be interactive. We want you to come and give your feedback, share your emotions, what you're feeling. I know it's almost a full week since 13 seconds transpired, joining the latest in a long line of Buffalo Bills postseason heartbreaks. Um, Speaking of heartbreak, let's bring on my colleague and co-host, Jamie (laughs) D'Amico. Are you are you literally associating me with heartbreak? I know. Well, I mean, you did have the Jaguars loss in person earlier this year, and you did call for the. That's true. I caused and you, that. You you personally were there for it, and uh, part of me wonders if you made the trek to Arrowhead uh, last Sunday night. <laughs> um, no, because I realize I'm poison when it comes to attending Bills games. It just doesn't turn out well when I'm there. I was also at the Bucks game, however. I think we can point at that game as being a turning point for the team. Oh, yeah. We? You you directly get credit for being part of that pendulum swing back in the right direction for the Bills, who were 7-6 and six at that point. They go on to win out, and I believe on one of your on your uh, podcasts with Big Newt, you guys predicted that the Bills would win out uh, after that game against Tampa Bay. And, you know, Jamie, uh, it's, it's therapeutic, buddy, to have you on here because really – I I mean it. I have been legit struggling. I'm a 40-year-old man. I have a good job. I have a great family. I'm pretty content in my life. But I've been depressed for the better part of the last week over this game. If you could have seen, and I know Bill's Mafia has the same feelings I'm going to share here, but if you could have tracked my heart monitor over the fourth quarter, hell, the last two minutes of the AFC Divisional Round game, mm-hmm. it would have been like seismic shifts. And, you know, you would have thought there would have been like earthquake activity with how much it was up and down and up and down. And it still hasn't really sunk into me that the Bills found a way to lose that game. I mean, it's and I know you guys talked about it on your podcast earlier this week, but it's just I feel like the Bills had victory snatched away from them in the most cruel, painful fashion. And it all starts with the last 13 seconds. It does. And there were multiple different things they could have done to prevent things from unfolding the way they did. And 
people have talked about it all week. Um, you know, the Bills could very well could have and should have squib kicked or kicked it down to the the you know one yard line, force a return, take at least a couple seconds off of the clock. Because if we think about it, let's say you put it in the air, you kick it to the one. They've got to get it away from the goal line, obviously. So say kick returner brings it out to the 20 and then takes a knee, gives himself up. Still, you're going to probably have two to three seconds off the clock. And that was how much time was left on the clock when they kicked the field goal to tie it up. So it makes a difference. There were, there were strategic and perhaps tactical errors by the Bills coaching staff and players. And I feel like that's really one of the, you know, when you look at, and 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 on this podcast, folks, to set up the stage for today, we're, we really don't have an agenda other than we're just going to rehash what happened on Sunday. We're going to try to put everything in perspective. We've got some topics we'll discuss about, you know, the future of the team, the Super Bowl window. But what makes it all so frustrating is that I'm a firm believer in you only get a certain amount of opportunities where the stage is set to win, to go and 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 have a Super Bowl championship. That window can close rapidly. And, you know, that's what makes everything so disappointing about the loss to the Chiefs in overtime was it set up so nicely for the Bills to go out there and win and win the AFC championship. I think the Bengals were a very beatable opponent and Across the conferences and the NFC, you lost the Packers and you lost the Buccaneers. So it wasn't like the Bills would have faced this murderer's row of opponents, but sadly they couldn't get out of their own way. And we'll talk about the Super Bowl window and we'll talk about you know this team moving forward. But I'm glad you brought up the, the kicking dilemma because Jim Nance and Tony Romo talked about it live where it's like, yeah, why is... Buffalo's special teams. Why is Tyler Bass booming this kick into the back of the end zone? I know they were afraid, I'm sure, of if Tyreek Hill got his hands on the ball, taking it to the house, because we all saw what he did zigzagging his way for that 64-yard touchdown, which, by the way, he should have been called for taunting when he did the peace sign to the Bills secondary. But that's kind of a moot point when you factor in that the Bills played like a sieve defense that allowed Hill to you know run wild like a gazelle through the back and of their secondary. I, I do understand the concern about Tyreek Hill returning the kick, but he wasn't on the field. It was Byron Pringle. Exactly. It was Byron freaking Pringle, and I think McCole Hardman might have been on the other side of it. Um, and Pringle had taken a kick back earlier in that game against the Buffalo Bills, where and Scarecrow did a great job breaking this down on Buffalo Rumblings, where it took a couple of seconds off the clock, like we talked about. Um, and so every second matters in that scenario. And if you're a kick returner, I would I would have tempted him, kick it deep to like the five-yard line. And if he's going to fair catch it, I think that goes against all of a kick returner's instincts. Kick returners want to make plays. They want to set their team up. And they want to be the GOAT. They want to find a way to come up with that big return. I'm thinking more often than not, if, By- if if Pringle is back there, if Byron Pringle fields that kick, more often than not, he's going to return it versus because that's his instincts versus thinking, oh, crap, I got a fair catch this and save time on the clock. What do you think? Well, I, I think that that's a very good point. And the other side of it is you have much farther to go. It, when If you say fair catches it at the five-yard line, that's an extra 20 yards 
which based on the way the Bills defense played, that doesn't seem to have been a concern for Kansas City, an extra 20 yards, but it still takes time to go farther down the field. So it was an error. And when you look at the interviews with with Sean McDermott, the head coach, he's kind of clear that there was an there was something that was off and he won't say what it is. He's not going to throw anybody under the bus, whether the message didn't get to Tyler Bass, whether the wrong message was given to Tyler Bass. It didn't get there, but it didn't sound like that's what Sean McDermott wanted at that point in the game. And here's the quote, just to let people know, it's a very telling quote where, again, yeah, McDermott's not going to throw his boys under the bus, but you can read between the lines of what he doesn't say versus what he actually does say at his press conference. Quote, yeah, our execution, I wish was different. I'm still not going to get into the specifics on it. Again, it comes down to execution. We didn't execute. You can read between the lines, but it seems very readily apparent that Execution means miscommunication. Wires were crossed, signals were misinterpreted, and there wasn't the proper communication between what he thought the team was going to do and what Tyler Bass ultimately executed. And I don't know, I I get McDermott not throwing somebody under the bus over this, but literally heads should roll for both the feeble kickoff that led to the Harrison Butker game-tying field goal, and the fact that your supposed number one defense just rolled over and played. Now, I know they were gassed. I mean, they were absolutely gassed in that second half, but you have a plethora of linemen you can rotate in there, and they did, and we'll get to this when it comes to a couple of the plays in overtime, but it just felt like everything execution-wise failed the bills in the final 13 seconds. And then of course, Josh loses a coin flip for the first time all year yeah. when calling tails and Mahomes drives him down the field, 75 yards ball game. Let me work backwards here. It was very clear based on the way that both defenses were playing that whoever won the coin flip was going to win. It just, there, there was no doubt about it in the last two minutes of that game. Neither defense was even looked like they were on the field. Um, so the defense that was played by the Bills, bigger error in that than I think on the kickoff. If you agree, if you looked at that, they were guarding the sidelines, which was stupid because the Chiefs had a full complement of timeouts, so they were going to stop the ball after every play, no matter what. They didn't have time to run three to four plays. Even if they're running like a 10-yard out, let them. So there's, there's, I, and I'm, I want to, you know, yeah. So I think we've, we've officially closed the door on the kickoff part of the 13 seconds. Yes. Mistakes were made. It should have been squibbed. I, I was more a proponent of kicking it to the five and letting Pringle run it back than squibbing because anything can happen with a squib. A squib could wind up at the 35-yard line, and then you're even worse off then the touchback and no time has to come off the clock until someone actually touches the ball. Right. So therapeutically we've moved on and admitted how bad it feels with the kickoff, but the coverage on the final two plays to go 44 yards in basically 10 seconds, because Butker kicked the game winning, the game time field goal with three seconds on the clock. Yeah. 
If you look at the coverage, and Jamie, I'm so glad you mentioned this, a sideline prevent, the very first play, I've got a screen grab. This is not a YouTube webinar video, but I, I, if you could see me, I'm looking at my phone here. The very first play that Mahomes takes a snap, he has legitimately nine to 10 yards of open field for his receivers and for Travis Kelsey. The closest Bills defender, Levi Wallace, is 10 yards off the line of scrimmage, and Dane Jackson is 11 yards off the line of scrimmage, and they have three Bills that are 20 yards off the line of scrimmage in the middle of the field. They're basically saying to the Chiefs, you're not going to get this out of bounds, but the middle of field is wide open. And that, to me, is such a massive failure on the part of Leslie Frazier and the team as to how they handled this setup. I mean, I you look at it, and of course, Tyreek Hill, who wasn't bumped at the line of scrimmage, who wasn't tightly contested at the line of scrimmage, goes for 19 yards to set up another play. And on, of course, Travis Kelsey, who is just unguardable, is still unchecked, uncontested. Same setup. They're in that same shell, preventing people from going to the sidelines. He gets 25 yards on a play, which almost was like, man, how easy could it be for the Chiefs to make the Bills defense look foolish? No defender anywhere near Travis Kelsey. The closest one was Levi Wallace, who didn't even spring over to him. He stayed outside the hash marks while Kelsey was running straight up the middle. The Bills defense was guarding against a touchdown, but the Chiefs were never going to play for a touchdown. They were going to play for a field goal. So you have to bring those guys up. The other thing is on that last play to Kelsey, you knew that that uh, Patrick Mahomes had to throw the ball immediately. Yep. So why are you sending four pass rushers after him? They're never going to get there. Why not drop it to two pass rushers and maybe make one of those pass rushers Spencer Brown, who's just going to stand there with his hands in the air, try to take away a passing lane. Um, you know what I'm saying? A really, just a really tall guy that's going to, that you have to throw over, put somebody on Hill, put somebody on Kelsey and make them work for it a little bit, double cover them. I'm not worried about Nicole Hardman and Byron Pringle as much. Double cover the best receivers, bring the safeties up to keep everything in front of them from about the 35-yard line. Because if you can stop them, if you can make a tackle at about the 45-yard line, game over. Yep, absolutely. Game over. I, I would have even gone further to, yeah, I mean, you know that Mahomes has to get rid of the ball in a heartbeat. And you're, you, the Bills had some success getting to him in the first half, um, although he was a magician and eluded their pressure oh, yeah. more often than not. <clears throat> but I almost feel like, yeah, you've got a double Kelsey, you've got a double Hill, and you can rush two. And you know what? If Mahomes has eight seconds to throw the ball, game Great. over. That's the only play they're going to get. You want time to come off the clock. You don't want to be bringing more pressure. I'm 100% with you, bringing four in those situations. I've heard people say the Bills should have brought more pressure. I disagree. Bringing less pressure gives you more bodies to drop back in coverage, and as long as you know where the hell Hill and Kelsey are on the field, they're not going to hurt you if you bump them at the line of scrimmage. And you know what? If you bump them and it's before the five yards, take the penalty. That kills more time 
off the clock. Yeah. Nothing tackle them. Exactly. Ex- like the Ravens did against the Bengals. Um, I know, you know, you do it one time, you tackle their receiver. All that they do is they get the 10 yards versus, and the, and the clock might, you know, the clock will be your friend in that situation versus letting Mahomes and letting Hill and letting Kelsey basically run streak patterns through the middle of the field and then give up and call a timeout and have a chance at the field goal. It just seems like a mismanagement at every possible level. Yeah, I, I don't understand how two coaches, two coordinators, Heath Farwell and Leslie Frazier, could be so incompetent at that juncture in the game. Well, and, and here's the thing, and it is, it's sheer incompetence, but it's also football IQ. And Travis Kelsey recognized it right away on his play. He even told Mahomes, he goes, I'm not running the route that this play calls for. I'm just going to run where there's an open seam hit me. And Mahomes basically goes, all right, Travis, you got this. And he finds him like the easiest possible throw in the history of the National Football League for 25 yards. There was only one defender, even on the screen, when I was, you know, when you're watching it from the network broadcast, and that Levi Wallace was that guy, and he wasn't anywhere near him. I just don't understand, yeah, how two coaches, how two defensive minds, and Leslie Frazier, this, this is a major stain to me on, now granted, you're playing the Chiefs, and I know you've given me guff before when I ask you, how do you slow down? You don't. I mean, this is proof right here. That, you know, there's no way to continue. The the Bills, you know, are a good defense, and they were made to look like a JV squad by Mahomes and the Chiefs offense out Mm -hmm. there. But that doesn't mean you give up. That doesn't mean you call stupid plays that show off even more of your vulnerabilities in the secondary. I mean, it's almost like the Bills admitted, all right, well, we're just not going to win this, and, you know, let's just go to overtime and take our chances. They were the team that had the Chiefs on the ropes, and they were playing like the ones that had to do something desperate to pull out the victory. So I want to back up to a little bit earlier in the game. Bills get the ball with uh, a minute, eight seconds. Did you ever doubt that the Bills were going to march down the field and score at that point? No, honestly. I mean, the way that Josh Allen and here and this is and this is going to be one of the overarching themes of my postmortem for this game is. What Buffalo did in the second half is what they should have been doing in the first half of the game, especially when Honey Badger went down. I don't understand why Brian Dable and the Bills offense fell in love with the cute little runs and the Isaiah McKenzie jet sweeps in the first half. If the Bills had done what they did in the second half of the game, throwing the ball all over the yard. Nobody could contain Gabriel Davis. Nobody could contain Josh Allen. That passing game was going to do whatever it wanted to. And that's what makes it all the more frustrating is the Bills overcame ineptitude in the offensive play calling from the first half, had a chance to win this game, and they still had it taken away from them. And I, I tell you, Jamie, if you could have seen you know the, the, the visceral reaction on the 4th and 13th, where it's like, oh my God, the whole season's hanging in the balance here. Oh my God, he found Gabriel Davis. I mean, everything was just like the pure swing of emotions and you're so jacked up and so excited. Josh Allen played a perfect second half. He played a perfect Mm -hmm. postseason. It's just a crying shame that he came up short and it's not anything that he did. 
I didn't have a problem with their attempts to run the ball in the first half. To be 100% honest, I thought it was a pretty good idea. They didn't get the run game going to the degree they wanted to. But what does the run game do? It keeps Patrick Mahomes on the sideline. So they wanted to stay committed to it because even if they weren't scoring, they were taking precious seconds off the clock. And we knew it was going to be a struggle. And you want to wear down that defense. And it worked. To a degree, it worked because the Kansas City defense late in the game had nothing left in them. So strategically, I don't think it was a bad move. But I also understand what you're saying in that if the Bills put up more points, it wouldn't have come down to that. But let me throw something else at you. It also wouldn't have come down to that final 13 seconds if Harrison Butker made those two kicks that he missed. Bills still would have been down four points even after that final touchdown. Yeah, he missed the field goal at the end of the first half and he had the extra point that got shanked. Um, which was a huge break for for the Bills. My whole point, though, Jamie, and I, I and listen, I, I like to do point counterpoint uh, when it comes to our topics and discussions here. And the reason my the bone of contention I have with the running attack in the first half isn't to keep Mahomes off the field. I, I like everything you're saying about limiting the amount of snaps that Mahomes gets, but I feel like it's knowing when to run the ball. And there were times on third and three on third and two, on third and four in the first half. Now, in the second half, they made some adjustments, and Josh ran the ball more and picked up some of those first downs. But there were times in the first half where it felt like the Bills had a third and three, and you know that they can throw at will on the Chiefs, and they were calling up a run that just seemed too predictable. You know, like McKenzie got stopped on one effort. Um, Singletary got stopped on a third down. Um, I just wanted the Bills to open up the playbook on the third down plays because that's where I felt like, you know, your weapons on offense are going to be better than the Chiefs secondary. You know, especially with Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew out, that your receivers can win their one-on-one matchups. And the Bills just seemed like they were determined on those third downs to, okay, we know we can run the ball. We want to run the ball. We're going to run the ball instead of making adjustments and going to the passing game, even on like, the short slants. I mean, I'm telling you, if the Bills had, they went six of 14, I think, on third down. And mm-hmm. in the first half, they might have had two conversions. If they had passed the ball more on those third down conversions in the first half, I know it's dangerous to play the hypothetical game, but I feel like they would have scored more points because they would have converted because the Chiefs could not stop them. Right. What you don't want is to have to punt the ball away, and that's what it led to. So I, I, I see exactly what you're saying. Um, I wish that those running plays worked. I, in the moment, wanted them to run the ball. Anything three yards or less, I feel like your team needs to be able to have the choice of throwing or running. It's interesting because, you know, when we were kids, three yards was always a running down. Now it it is almost purely a passing down. But as an offense, if you want to be well-balanced, you have to be able to do that. And the Bills were running the ball incredibly well going into that game. I think they sort of met their match with a, a a very tough Chiefs defensive line. Well, and just think about how much more you have to adjust your game plan if you're Steve Spagnolo, If it's a third and three, and yeah, maybe you keep Singletary in the backfield, do Josh Allen in a shotgun with 
four wide or three wide in Dawson Knox, how are you going to decide who to cover? Singletary could easily take a draw and get the first down. Josh Allen is more of a threat to run the ball out of the gun than he would have been if you've got a, a heavier set, which I think the Bills did on a bunch of their third down conversions that failed. It's the same conversation as the Titans game. If you open up the playbook, if you open up and make a spread formation, I don't have the facts, the, the numbers to back it up, but I think it's a lot harder to stop when you know that there's five options that the Bills could go with versus some of those looks where you're like, all right, they're going to run the ball. It just felt like the Chiefs mm-hmm. knew what the Bills were going to do in those downs. Yeah, but you're right. It, it did seem like it. And <clears throat> so we go through that. Now, I, I would like to fast forward to after the game. The reactions. One second, Jamie. Before we do that, I want to talk to you about um, another X's and O's uh, part of this oh, yeah. game. Um, and I'm not going to go into, you know, the, the the we've talked about the defense. We've talked about their shortcomings. We've talked about the fact that the Bills, you know, I mean, they were gassed. You know, when the Chiefs went down and scored one of their touchdowns to get up by nine. <clears throat> and then, you know, first play, Josh Allen has a bomb to Gabe Davis. My thought was, okay, that's awesome that we got the touchdown, but holy crap, the defense has to go back out there again after one play, and they're more gassed. One of the things I want to get to is, we've talked about this all year long, how what Brandon Bean and what Sean McDermott did with their offseason moves was to show that they could beat the Chiefs and to surpass the Chiefs in the AFC. And one of the areas that we've talked about was the pass rush, that they had to get after Mahomes. And- some of the throws, I mean, my goodness, you know, I think it was uh, Rousseau or Basham. One of the guys was going in on Mahomes and the sidearm angle that he threw the ball yeah. was just on. It was like Bernie Kosar-esque, you know, from the, the Cleveland Browns guy in the 80s who could throw these ridiculous sidearm passes. Like Mahomes is a weapon unlike anything we've ever seen in the National Football League. But the Bills thought process was drafting rookies in Greg Rousseau and Boogie Basham to get their rotation deep so that they could have more guys to throw at when it came to getting after the quarterback. It really came back to hurt them on that 64 yard touchdown when Hill should have been flagged for the taunting. You know, the, the bills seem to have two tiers of defensive linemen when it was Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison, along with Ed Oliver and F.A. Obata, the Bills were making the Chiefs miss fire when it came to the passing game. There were three incompletions in four plays. But mm-hmm. then, because the Bills needed to rotate in their defensive line and keep them fresh, they bring in their second set of pass rushers when you have Russo and A.J. Epinesa, along with Boogie Basham and Harrison Phillips, a much younger, much more inexperienced rotation on the D-line. And of course, because those guys are just not as good as the first wave, Mahomes wins. He finds the matchup. He finds Hill for a 64-yard score. I just feel like that's an example, Jamie, of where the Bills' depth came back to bite them because if the first string is in there, I don't think that touchdown pass gets completed because they were actually getting after Mahomes, and he took advantage of the fact that the Bills were gassed and had to bring in their second squad. I think you have to level up there, too. Uh, You had mentioned Brandon Bean. To me, it's a failure of scouting to have drafted two guys at the top of this past year's draft that can't get to the quarterback to me is a failure of scouting to have taken Boogie Basham when all of us were screaming for Creed Humphrey 
who became an all-pro in his rookie season. That's a horrible miss. It's a horrible miss. And I don't know that the players they've taken in the past two seasons, you mentioned them, Epinesa, Rousseau, Basham, two of the three of those are going to be journeymen at best for their career, I think. I don't think Epinesa and Basham are really ever going to amount to much. And people talk about, well, they came around at the end of the season. Yeah, okay, sure. Um, I, not enough. Now, Rousseau is actually a very good run defender. He is. He and, is the best of the bunch, I feel like, of those three young players you mentioned. Yes, but he also needs to learn how to be a pass rusher, and he might. He only played one season of college football. This might be somebody who, in his third or fourth season, really turns it on. But the lack of athleticism from Basham and Epinesa, I, I don't even know. He, it seems like he's too small, um, but when he's larger, he's too slow. I, I, I don't know what it's going to take to get him going, but... Both of those guys, second-round picks, were regular healthy scratches on game day. Bad place to be. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. we got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. The window to win in the NFL closes so rapidly. I mean, just ask Aaron Rodgers. You know, he was probably thinking he'd have two or three Super Bowl appearances and two championships, and his team got knocked out by a resilient, gritty Niners squad. And now they're at home, just like the Bills, watching the Final Four this weekend. When the Buffalo Bills lost to the Houston Texans in the wild card game in the 2019 season, that offseason, the Bills made a lot of moves that were based on a two-year window, and the two-year window is now up. Do you feel, Jamie, that the Bills are – that this was their best chance to win a Super Bowl? This probably was their best chance, and to me, I thought they, I thought they were going to. Um, the winner of that game on Sunday, I believed, was going to win the Super Bowl, but – it's a lot like the 1970s when the Houston Oilers were phenomenal with Earl Campbell and Bum Phillips was their, their head coach. And they were probably the best team. No, check that. The second best team in the NFL for about four or five seasons. But they were in the same conference as the Steel Curtain, the Pittsburgh Steelers, one of the all-time greatest teams. I'm a little concerned that that's the position the Bills are in now, that they are stuck behind what is looking more and more like a dynasty. It's hard to um, – I, I do want to say uh, no disrespect to Bum Phillips and those Oilers, but Josh Allen is is worlds better than you know Dan Pastorini and whatever quarterback the Oilers yeah. you know trotted out there to go with Earl Campbell. But I like the analogy because <clears throat> the Chiefs aren't going anywhere. Now, they are going to have – 
like every team, their cap constraints. They're going to have their financial maneuvering that they have to make this offseason to stay under the cap. And, and Patrick Mahomes makes $50 million, whereas Josh Allen jumps to, I think, is he either 17 this year and 23 the next year, and then it's 40. Mm-hmm. Um, his, his contract is going to skyrocket. But one of the things that I think is in the Bills' favor is when they got this Josh Allen contract extension done was before this new mega TV deal that is supposed to be hitting over the next year or two, when salary caps will then skyrocket commiserate with how much money the league is going to bring in from the TV deal. So I feel like Josh's contract Mm -hmm. is bloated. However, there's going to be more money for the teams to spend to put talent around him uh, moving forward. But the, the frustrating part about this was he's still on his rookie deal this year, which meant the Bills could afford to have money tied up in expensive veterans to augment the talent on this roster. We're going to see just how good of a cap wizard Brandon Bean is Mm -hmm. when it comes to putting a roster around Josh Allen, especially with the news that Brian Dable is reportedly going to be the next head coach of the New York Giants. And he might be taking Ken Dorsey with him as his offensive coordinator. This could be a brand new scheme that the Bills offense runs next year. It very well could be. Now, when I said I thought this was the Bills' best chance to win, it's theoretically, it's theoretical at, at this point because there are plenty of teams that have large quarterback contracts that compete. I mean, look at um, look at Green Bay. They, they were fantastic this year. But you sort of have to pick your poison and you have to hit on your draft picks. And that's why the, the picks over the past couple of years seem to hurt. Except for Gabriel Davis, if you can get a fourth rounder that is an impact player like they did with Matt Milano a number of years ago, that helps. Harrison Phillips, same sort of thing. He played great as well uh, toward the end of the season. But, you know, when when it comes to roster construction, you they say you build through the draft and you develop your own players, and that's how you do it. That's how you compete when you have a a great quarterback with a big contract because – the alternative is not having a good quarterback, and you know you can't win without that. You need, so, you need, you're right. You need a quarterback to win first and foremost. So the Bills are in a great position going forward, and with all of the consternation that has gone on after this loss, I have to tell you, I don't feel as bad as a lot of people do, because I think the future is still incredibly bright for this team because. Josh Allen is in town for a long time. And the way he played at the end of the season, his demeanor, the head on his shoulders, he it, he matured before our eyes over the course of the season. When the when the spotlight was the brightest, he was the coolest. And that was the playoffs. He never played out of control, but earlier in the season he did. He played within himself and that showed me that this is a guy who has come of age and is going to take that into next season. And with him playing like that, the Buffalo Bills will always be a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, I don't I don't want to project doom and gloom. I just again, so here here's my analogy to make Bills fans feel a little better. I feel like and I'm a Cubs fan, so I I know a thing or two <laughs> about losing and suffering. The Cubs in 2016 pulled off this magical storybook season. They were down three games to one in the World Series. They stormed back. 
They won their first World Series since the Model T was invented uh, more than a century ago. And I look at the Cleveland Indians, who had a very powerhouse roster, very talented team. They just didn't get the job done in the big stage, and they've never been back you know, to the World Series since. But the Bills are built differently, obviously, than a baseball team. I think the comparison to make for this Bills franchise is what we saw in the late 80s when you had the the Ronnie Harmon uh, drop uh, in the, mm. which was just like a brutal, when they lose to the Cleveland Browns, he had the ball in his hands in the back of the end zone. A year after losing in the conference championship game to the Cincinnati Bengals, Harmon has that drop. The Bills fall short in their first playoff game. What do they do the next four years? They go mm-hmm. to the Super Bowl. And if you looked at Josh Allen last year when the Bills lost in the championship game, Stephon Diggs was the only player out there. He was soaking it all in. He said he never wanted to forget that feeling. This year, it was Josh Allen, it was Diggs, and it was a lot of the Bills soaking that in and saying, we are never going to let this happen to us again. We're going to learn from the sting of defeat. And I feel like the window is really just beginning. You know, when you factor in, okay, the Bills have some difficult decisions to make this offseason, but every team has tough decisions mm-hmm. to make with their roster constitution. The Bills are up against a cap space. Depending on who you look at, what figure it is, there are roughly $3 million under the cap space for next year. But there's also ways to reduce that, to free up money, whether it's Feliciano, whether it's Mario Addison and Vernon Butler, whether it's Cole Beasley, who Bean did say he expects to be back with the team next year. We have to trust that Brandon Bean and his capologists are going to free up the room that they need to, and maybe some veterans restructure their deals to come back in a more team-friendly hit. But I don't know. I trust what the Bills are building. I just really wished that we had another game to talk about on Sunday because it's so hard to get back there, especially when you consider how healthy this team was. The last two years now, they have been remarkably healthy. Yeah, it's kind of been unbelievable, and you sort of feel like your luck is going to run out. And to a degree, it did. That game might have been slightly different if um, if Trey White was on the field instead of Dane Jackson, who struggled in the first half. Who knows? The the what ifs. I it didn't hold them back as a whole, not having Trey White in there, but. All things equal, I'd rather have the All-Pro on the field. Oh my gosh, yeah, absolutely. That was the first game since he went down on Thanksgiving that the Bills really missed uh, having Trey White out there on on the field. Um, It's tough, Jamie. The post-mortem is always the hardest because now we have to wait. And the offseason is, you know, there's always news. There's always developments. There's the draft. There's free agency. But it really stinks knowing that the next meaningful game the Bills play is nine months, eight months away versus having an AFC championship game to look forward to. But I want to say one more thing in the game before we put a bow on this podcast here. How unbelievably awesome was it to have the Gabe Davis game? I mean, he had one catch in the first half and he finishes with 201 yards, four touchdowns, the first player to ever have four scores in a postseason game. I mean, give it up for the coming out party for Gabe Davis. That was so much fun to watch. Absolutely. And Stefan Diggs was conspicuously absent from that game. And I haven't gone back and looked at it because I, I don't really have the heart to, but 
I'm going to just assume that he was double and triple covered, and that's why Gabe Davis was getting open and and breaking ankles on some of his routes. Oh, that one <laughs> poor dude. I mean, retire him right away on that touchdown where it's like, good night. He was breaking knees. <laughs> it was a thing of beauty wasn't it oh that was and at that point yeah i mean the bills god that offense was such a thing of beauty to watch and that top ranked defense let them down but it did here's here's my question jamie for you as we're as we're wrapping up our our belief here was this season a success um yes it was um there was there was some adversity that the bills had to overcome in the middle of the season they were they weren't playing well. I mean, they, they dropped a game to the Jags. That, that was horrible. Uh, but when it comes down to it, they lost in one of the greatest games of all time in, in the second round of the playoffs to a team that is an absolute juggernaut that is, at this point, the favorite to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, it, it was a good season. It was – I know that you know you mentioned earlier – the prospect of this dynasty in the making and the chiefs have now have a chance to go to three straight super bowls um, for the first time since Tom Brady and the Patriots in 16, 17 and 18. Um, but it's interesting the parallel to make too, with how Kansas city's run started when they lost to the Patriots in overtime in a game when Patrick Mahomes never touched the ball, the chiefs defense blew it late. They allowed new England to rally force overtime so maybe that's a good parallel too for the Bills to look at where look what that did to motivate and fuel the Chiefs onto greatness. The same fire and intensity is going to burn with these Bills knowing how close they got and yet how much work still needs to to get done. Trying to see those rose-colored glasses here on Bill Even. You're going to see the makings. This is just the beginning of Brady Peyton Manning part two with Mahomes and Josh Allen. They were throwing haymakers. They were throwing knockout punches. (laughs) I mean, that was so much fun. The fact that they scored 25 points after the two minute warning is unheard of. It's ridiculous. I, it really didn't seem like the defenses took the field at all. did it? (laughs) Well, this is what the NFL wants, man. They don't want defense and the defenses are at such a disadvantage too, when it comes to, slowing down these offenses, but it was, it was like a, a game of Madden out there where you're just like, all right, anything you can do, I can do better. And Rich Eisen talking about that. They, he was saying on the NFL network that you might as well just start making the bust of Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen right now, because they're going to end up being all time greats. And we have a lot of good football ahead of us being that the Bills are in the AFC, the Chargers with uh, with Justin Herbert, the Bengals with Joe Burrow. My God, we're in a quarterback renaissance right now. And it's going to be, if nothing else, it's going to be entertaining. But we are, we are going to see some really good teams because it's a quarterback league and these guys are great. Yeah, it is. It's really a renaissance for quarterbacks in the AFC, and it's a fun time to have your quarterback because if you don't have a quarterback, oh my gosh, I mean, it's... We saw that long enough, didn't we? (laughs) Yeah, we did, man. We've been the doldrums of quarterback league, uh, quarterbacks in the NFL for so long. It's great to have our guy locked up for a while with Josh Allen uh, and the Buffalo Bills. And you, you never answered the question, do you think the season was a success? 
Uh, I mean, it was a success in the fact that you win two straight divisional titles. You win a, a great, perfect wild card game over the Patriots and you go toe to toe with the team that you're right is probably going to win the Super Bowl uh, in the Kansas City Chiefs. My take on it, though, is it was a success up until the final 13 seconds and that 13 seconds in overtime mm-hmm. sullies. It leaves a bad taste in my mouth. So I'm going to give it kind of the sideways thumb. It's not a thumbs up. It's <laughs> not a thumbs down. It's a it was a success, but so it's kind of talking out both sides of my mouth on that one. Five but. years ago, would this have been a success? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> We've moved. We've uh, we've moved the goal line, haven't we? Expectations have changed, my friend. And when the Bills went downfield with, you know, just sheer determination to get that go ahead touchdown with 13 seconds to go. And then you start to think maybe they can get this. They've got a chance. Oh, wait, there's no way they're going to give up a, t- a field goal with 13 seconds. And then they did. So I guess Ugh. that's kind of where my head's at. It was a success. Josh Allen, you know, for all he proved all the doubters, all the haters wrong. This is a, a prolific, high scoring, fun offense. A lot of questions about the defense moving forward. Um, but yeah, I'll say it was a success with a little asterisk next to it. Okay. That's reasonable. That's my little answer here to wrap up this edition of the postmortem for the 2021 Buffalo Bills season. If you we want to hear from you, was this year a success? Uh, how are you feeling heading into the offseason? We will do all of our series of positional breakdowns, you know, state of the bills, draft previews, free agency primers. All those are coming in the weeks ahead. But for now, let's talk Bills Mafia. Talk to us about your feelings on the season and the taste that's left in your mouth after Buffalo comes up just short. In And I love this phrase for it, Jamie. That game with Mahomes and Josh Allen is an instant classic and the best NFL game that I will never watch ever again. <laughs> and for good reason, I, I get it. Um, it was it was entertaining, wasn't it? Boy, are you not entertained for sure by the NFL? Uh, we want to hear your feedback, though. Jamie is at the Jamie D'Amico on Twitter. I am at John Bacasino, please get involved. This is an interactive show here on Believe. We'll be back talking more Bills football and the offseason with you coming up on Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. 
You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com Flagship. This is a paid advertisement.